my parents are just passionate about helping people. I mean, I think that the, the things that they really have imparted in all their kids is, you know, really appreciation for life and appreciation for helping other people and the honor of helping other people and also just, you know, seizing every moment of every day. You know, that I think that's what it is to be a passionate person and to be a, a passionate in what you do. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 33 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. It was both an honor and a blast to chat with and learn more about my doctor, Jordan Metzel. Jordan is a nationally recognized sports medicine physician working out of the Hospital for Special Surgery, the best-selling author of Running Strong, and the founder of the Iron Strength Community Fitness Program. The positive energy and stoke level was high, and I appreciate Jordan bringing the fire. Jordan's New York-based practice has served over 20,000 patients with a focus on keeping them moving and preventing injuries. And Jordan himself has completed 35 marathons and 14 Ironman tries, so he is definitely practicing what he preaches. We took a deep dive on his Midwest roots, the family legacy of medical care and taking care of people in the community, the intersection of his sports medicine practice and his athletic journey, staying active through injury, patient care, diagnosis, treatment, prevention, running mechanics, shoes on hard, soft surfaces, marathon versus Ironman, fueling, nutrition, and we ended up with the Iron Strength community and why that matters so much to him. Jordan brings such positive energy and shares so many valuable insights in this episode, so it's no wonder he's a frequent contributor on Good Morning America, the Today Show, the CBS Early Show, and CNN American Morning. Hoping you all enjoy this convo as much as we did, so let's dive on in and take a listen. Dr. Jordan Metzel, what an honor it is to have you on Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. It's so great to see you, man. How are you? Ronnie, baby, I'm doing good. I'm so happy to see you too, man. You look awesome, and it's, it's good to see your smiling face over there. Yeah, yeah. Well, for everybody listening at home, I got the great Dr. Metzel as my sports doctor looking after my care after my unfortunate uh, injury and accident. But, you know, if you're going to get injured in this sport and we all are, it's going to happen to us all at some point, you sure as hell, you got the opportunity to go to the best you do. So I'm very lucky. And so this is a great opportunity for us to chat. So thank you. Uh, I know how busy you are with everything you're doing uh, in the medical practice and your own personal athletic life. So thanks for joining us tonight. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad to do it. I like you having a beer and talking to me. It looks awesome. Yeah. I mean, look, man, it's Sunday night. It's Easter. You know, cocktails should be should be included, right? I think all podcasts Absolutely. run smoother with a little cocktail. So for everybody listening at home um, that may not know of Dr. Metzl, I mean, he is a, I would say, not only nationally, maybe even a world-renowned sports doctor, sports medicine doctor, works at a hospital for special surgery, um, incredibly uh, well-known, best-selling author of multiple books. 
uh, and the man who created Iron Strength, which is just an absolute craze uh, back home here for us New Yorkers. And he's rocking those fitness classes on the Intrepid boat. It's just a sight to behold. And, and also in Central Park and many other super cool venues. And I know that his heart has to have been broken many times this year with COVID because he lives for that connection. But we're going to save all that good stuff for the end. And we're going to start, Jordan, just like we do with all of our guests, just a basic intro for all the Run Chats listeners about, you know, life growing up. Where did you grow up? What was family life life as a kid, Jordan? Sure, sure. Um, first of all, so so happy to chat with you, Ron. Um, I grew up uh, in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, and out in, the, out in the middle of the country. I grew up in a family where uh, my dad is a pediatrician, just retired in his mid-80s. Uh, my mom is a psychologist. I have three brothers. There's four of us. And basically, medical care and taking care of people is uh, what we do in our family. There are there are six people in the family. There are six doctors Metzl. Um, I always say my dad is the OG of uh, doctors Metzl, uh, and everyone else is kind of following suit in some way, shape, or form. The only guy that's not a medical doctor is my the brother, who's a couple years younger than I am, Jamie. He's a PhD and a JD, but he actually will give out medical advice more freely than anybody else. If you have any medical problems, talk to him. He definitely will hook you up. Um, and I uh, grew up as, you know, basically just being very athletic from the time I was a small little, you know, slug. I was moving around, um, always had been very, very active, um, you know, throughout kind of little, little league and soccer and every kind of activity. Um, as I kind of got through college and, and eventually into medical school, I noticed that my brain worked a lot better when I'd exercised. And although I didn't know that, you know, I had some, something along the attention concentration that a lot of guys have particularly, um, which I think has a negative stigma for no reason. I mean, it just, you know, I found that when I exercised, I could concentrate and study a lot better. And so, uh, going through playing soccer in college and then, in med school, I did my first triathlon and I was hooked. I did it on an old mountain bike and I came in like last place in the bike. And I was like, this is awesome. Swam in a lake in the middle of Missouri. There's probably like a bunch of snakes and stuff. Um, and then uh, went out, did residency in internship, which is like the hellish, most hellish year in the world. You're basically awake for like every third day, you're awake for 36 hours. It's like horrible. And they had a deal in Boston where I did my residency that if you run the Boston Marathon, you get the day off. Patriots Day Monday and no one ever did it. I'm like, dude, run a marathon or, you know, stay here locked in a hell. You know, it was, it was, I used to bring a jump rope to being on call so I could move because it just, I, it was really hard for me. So I did my first marathon. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And so I, uh, 35 marathons later and going strong, I still very much am into it. And um, I guess finally, you know, over, over years, I've, I've really been very much into the idea of athletics and my medical practice of sports medicine and, in orthopedic sports medicine, which has kind of grown, and we can talk about all that. But what's happened over time is that my my world of being active myself and my world of my own medical practice have, which started out as two different planes, have now really kind of grown together, and um, and they now intersperse. Next time you come in the office, Ron, you'll see. I was lucky enough to the hospital put a quote of about the the, the medicine of uh, of movement in my office that you'll take a picture with next time when I see you. Um, and, uh, you know, these worlds have grown together over, over years and it's been really gratifying to see. That is awesome. And you just stole one of my, 
one of my best questions that I'd start off for you, because in my mind, that intersection was so uh, evident to me, and I'm quite sure so many of your other patients that you've helped along the way. Um, and for everybody listening at home, like Hospital for Special Surgery is just such a special place um, for us in the New York City area. And they have a footprint in other locations as well, like Connecticut and, and probably even other states that maybe I'm not even aware of. Um, but for us, I think that any athlete, I mean, th their credo is to keep everyone moving. Um, crutches don't exist. You know, the, uh, they're always going to migrate you away from surgery and strengthening, getting stronger, working around it. So again, that intersection of you and everything you have with your book and, you know, this entire practice that you built around getting stronger and um, runners aren't weak. Runners shouldn't be weak and athletes shouldn't be. I mean, swimmers are spending so much time in the pool and so much load on their shoulders and, you know, certain parts of the body, which is great wear and tear. So you've built this entire uh, practice and books and things that you've authored around making yourself strong, turning those weaknesses into strengths and being able to stay healthy and not be on the sidelines like me right at the moment, which is really hard to do. But I think what makes HSS such an amazing place is they're always looking to find a way to keep you in your sport, not do the surgery, keep you out there on that field, whatever that field is that you have. And it doesn't have to be a field. It could be a swimming pool. It could be a basketball court. It's polo. I mean, I don't care what your sport is. You guys want to keep us out there. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, that's the, the credo, exactly what we do. Um, getting people to move and, and, you know, movement's very different. I mean, I, people say, well, sports medicine, you take care of professional athletes and yes, some of those, but to me, an athlete is anybody that wants to move. An eight-year-old gymnast is an athlete. An 85-year-old woman that wants to walk with her grandkid is an athlete. Athlete just means you want to move. And, um, and to me, the stigma of that word, it's just, you know, I have people, you know, you've spent some time in my office, unfortunately, and you see what the waiting room um, is like and people of all ages and the, and the commonalities, they all want to move and they all want to get the most out of their activity. And it's, it's an honor to try and help them do that. So that, that it's nice because what I'm doing professionally, what I do personally have really kind of, there's a nice intersection there. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful intersection. And, um, again, all of your patients see it and feel it and it's wonderful. Um, you know, so stepping back to your roots and growing up, um, what a wonderful family environment, you know, for everybody to have, uh, dad to emulate as a doctor, still practicing, I think you said at 80, which is remarkable. So, you know, he's got the endurance gene, man. He's got that, the marathoners skill and mindset to still be, um, not only practicing what he does, obviously, and loves and has a passion for, because nobody's out there working at that age unless they have that fire. And it's really important because these are things I wanted to get to know about you that I don't know, other than just that you're a great guy and you have wonderful energy. But like we all get that fire from somewhere. It comes from somewhere. And it doesn't have to just be about a sport, right? Yours is not only in athletics, but it's obviously in your medical practice. So does it kind of come, is it from your dad and mom? Or would you say it's more from your dad and his work ethic? Or is it just kind of a combination of all? Combination of both. I mean, I'd say that, that my parents... Uh, you know, are are just passionate about helping people. They're actually just moving out of Kansas City as we make this podcast tonight. I'm uh, moving out to Colorado, and you know, my dad's in his mid 80s. My mom's in her young 80s. They both bike, they ski. Um, they're they're really going to get it. They've helped you know just hundreds of thousands of people in Kansas City, um, and just seeing them and all that community rallying behind them. I mean, I think that the, the things that they really have imparted in all their kids. Uh, is, you know, really appreciation for life and appreciation for helping other people and the honor of helping other people. And also just, you know, seizing every moment of every day. Um, and, uh, you know, that, I think that's what it is to be a passionate person and to be a, a passionate in what you do. Um, 
to me, I guess that's the, that's the, if I had an image of what I like to would think about, it's like a fire. I definitely have a fire to try and do everything that I do. And uh, not, not hopefully not a off-putting fire. Cause some people are so fire. It's like, dude, like tone it down a notch or two. I hope it's not that, but it's just that I really feel strongly about, you know, doing connecting and, and doing the right thing for people. It's, it's a very positive energy. Um, and I, I certainly can speak for many patients who I know in my own circle that have been to you over the years, because once I mentioned you were going to come on the pod, they're like, Oh my God, he helped me out. And you know, oh, one, of, one of my friends, Laura DeLeo was like, you told her not to do something. And she showed up to run a marathon in Philly or something. And you were in the same corral. And she's like, Oh no, don't tell him that story. I'm going to, you know, of course, it's like the first thing I'm going to say is like, well, I don't know if he'll remember me, but yeah, runners, we don't exactly follow advice so well, as you know, because we want to keep moving as you know. So it's, it's a, it's a tough world and you're in that position where you're trying to keep us moving, but you're also trying to make sure we're going to have longevity and be able to keep doing what we love. It's interesting. I mean, I think that, um, that runners take my word over time for, for, you know, different injuries and how to not only take care of them, but how to prevent them because they know I'm in the exact same boat. Like they know that, you know, I love you mile 20 when you feel like you're you know, your whole guts are going to fall out and you're like, oh, why the hell did I do this? And you're like, where the hell is that? How, how can I get six more miles out of this body? I'm ready to just, you know, sit on the side of the road and not move. And you find it inside of you. And, um, and, and I, you know, I, I love and hate that feeling simultaneously, just like all of them. And they know I'm coming from the same place. And I think that that really is helpful in taking care of them because, you know, I think oftentimes one of the things that I've noticed over time is that, that many people that don't actually run they take care of runners. They will just take six weeks off. Well, you know what? Six weeks off sucks. So even in an injury like yours, where we're not having you run for a while, but you're doing everything else to keeping people active through their injuries, I think is so important. And it's a concept that I think runners get for other runners more than people that don't do that. So I think there's a lot of value in it. And, and I try and impart that with everybody. I, I think um, runners learn over time they learn by going to a fellow runner, uh, whether it's a male or a female doctor, whatever their specialty or practices, or even if they're a surgeon for that matter, um, runners have a very different outlook on life. I mean, we are the people who are going to get stuff done, okay? Whether it's before the sun comes up or if I've run many times after 12 o'clock during COVID, I've run at 1.30 in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, because if that run has to get done, and there's some purpose to it. Even if it's just to relieve stress, if it's just to think, what am I going to talk to Jordan about in this podcast? It's not like I take a notebook out and sit down. My best ideas, my best free thoughts come to me, whether it's a business deal I'm working on with a large client or a large health system like HSS, they come to me on the run. And I have no doubt that for you, whether it's on the bike or it's running or skiing or just doing something active, that's where the gold comes. Absolutely. I mean, that's that, you know, so many of the thoughts I've had for everything that I'm doing come during activity. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of medicinal benefit to movement that extends beyond just, you know, getting good muscles or whatever, or body fat or whatever. It, it is so much of, you know, psychological wellness that happens during activity and during running. No question. And um, one of my favorite sports chiropractors I used to go to back in the day, and speaking of Colorado, he moved his practice out there. He was a big ultra runner, did all the 100 milers back before most people really didn't know a whole lot about ultra. And we nicknamed him Dr. Payne because the dude was out of his mind. And, you know, like we used to just have a running joke that he would just torture the guys on the table on purpose. And then the ladies, he'd just be a little extra gentle with. But, you know, he was a madman and just did 
all the crazy stuff. But if you were broken and something was wrong with you, you just went to him because you knew he was going to take the lore of running out that giant book and go, okay, I'm going to show you a hundred pages in this book to tell you whatever your injury is, plantar fasciitis, it's ITB. I don't care what it is. If you take off six weeks, six months, six years, and you go back to run, that injury will be waiting for you like an old friend the first time you put your shoes on. And it's interesting because most doctors, I don't want to say most doctors, but certainly not running doctors, they don't have that viewpoint. And I know I do, and I know that you do, and I think that's, again, what the team of HSS people are like. We know that, look, it's not going to go away, you know? And that's where, you know, running strong comes from, right? Curing imbalances, working on, you know, an injury that most people would say, no, you need arthroscopic surgery or you need to go under the knife for an actual procedure, whereas you are going to view it personally as no way. I think this is an imbalanced thing. I think we can get these other areas stronger to supplement and overcome something. So talk a little about that in terms of how you, how you handle that kind of a situation. So I kind of think about running injury in really three stages. And the first stage is, is diagnosing the problem in the first place. Um, and so diagnosis is important because you can err on both sides of this equation. You can err on the side that, you know, something like your injury where you have a pretty significant injury inside your knee and that injury can be made a lot worse if you keep running on it. And so the idea that that injury, you can just kind of push through it is, is uh, so you, it could be a lot worse. And so someone with a stress fracture in their hip or a, you know, partially torn Achilles tendon or something where if they run on it, it's going to get a lot worse. And so the first thing that I do through history, physical exam, diagnostic tools like x-rays or MRIs or things like that is get an appropriate medical diagnosis. Because you can have the best outlook and you can be the best advocate for running and exercise, but if you don't get the right diagnosis, you're SOL, right? So the first thing is getting the right diagnosis. The second thing is treating the injury. So step two is treating it. What's our treatment plan? Does that involve keeping you off? Does that involve putting in a brace? Does that involve building muscle strength? Does that involve you know, those kind of things that are going to basically work on treating the injury. Do we need to do injections or different interventions um, to try and treat the injury? And then finally, once we've treated it, and there's been different things along the way, different advances in technologies, you know, things like PRP and lubricant shots called supplements and all those kinds of things, which are, which are interesting. And then the third piece, so we've di diagnosed it, we've treated it. And then the last piece is prevention. Why did this injury happen in the first place? Was this a case of somebody you know, with an altered stride mechanic, or are they in the wrong shoes? Are they not doing enough strength training? Are they, uh, is their training program too much? Are they trying to run too many miles and one, you know, ramp up too quickly? Are they not listening to their body? Um, there's a whole host of reasons why people have the third part, which is, you know, why the injury happened in the first place and prevention is their bone density low. Um, you know, so there's a whole host of those things. Uh, and so really the three steps of that diagnosis, treatment and prevention are all equally important. And I think about those things in all the patients that I see and in all the books I've done um, and all the things I've worked on, it's always the same kind of thing. First diagnosis, then treatment, then prevention. Um, and, and those are the, th those are the three kind of the three legs of the tripod. Yeah. And, and you, you hit the nail on the head too, because um, so many of my running friends have had extended problems with their own health and running. It does come from misdiagnosis. It comes from, you know, 
getting an x-ray but not an MRI and thinking that maybe something was a fracture but it was a tear or some other, you know, high-graded strain or whatever the case might be. Or in my case, it was the opposite. You know, you originally thought it might be an MCL situation, but it ended up being, a, you know, a stress fracture, you know, the medial femoral condyle, which I can't believe I can actually say that. So that's pretty cool. You know, subchondral medial femoral acute subchondral medial femoral condyle fracture. Like, wow, I just got all that out. I didn't even read it. Impressive. But my friends, like, they're just, they just kind of shake their head because they see me going out on a 50-mile bike ride and they're like, oh, he's totally fine. He's okay. I'm like, they don't understand. Like the, my friends who I rode with the other day, and by the way, they all know you. So we all rode up at Harriman State Park the other day. Love and, um, and Patty Boyd, my friend has run, uh, rode with HSS in the PMC challenge for like the last 10 years. So she knows Dr. Joe Hannafin. She knows a the lot best, of people yeah. in your circle that, that do the PMC challenge and raise a lot of money for that, which is a great cause. And I've got other friends as well who've done it. And it's interesting because she noticed instantly how I was walking. And she's like, dude, you're a fucking badass in these climbs. You were rolling on the climbs like you were killing it. She goes, and you just, you just look amazing. And now I'm watching you walk. She goes, now you're not like hobbling or limping, but you know, I could tell that you're not walking normally yet. I said, I know I'm not walking normally yet. And that's why I wouldn't even dream of asking you if I'm okay to run. And I think that's the thing that most people don't get. You know, they see a person like me who's as type A and hardcore about competing and being fit and getting after it at 60, but I wouldn't do that. That's why I went 30 years of my life without having a major injury, because I'm not going to risk trying to run a week earlier or two weeks earlier, or even a month earlier than I should until you give me the green light, because I'll, I'll ride my ass off. I'll go in the pool. You know, I'll jump on a Peloton at Chelsea Piers. You know, I'll push some weights. I'll do something else to keep myself interested and, you know, in the game, if you will. And then when you say it's okay, I'm going to put a lot of effort on running a lot more in the dirt, you know, being on softer stuff, uh, just to be kinder to my body until things are really, you know, truly healed up. It's interesting. I mean, and the whole idea of like dirt and mechanics, you know, the idea of softer surfaces being easier for you um, works for some people. I mean, there was, that kind of relates to the whole kind of Hoka craze and the really cushy shoes. Um, and I think what we found over time is that running surface you know, running is essentially a war between downward gravity of the human body and, and, and the ground pushing back up and what's called the ground reactive force. And the goal of running is to minimize the ground reactive force. The less hard you hit the ground, the better. Um, and that comes from things such as, you know, your body mass and your stride length and your actual stride and a whole bunch of factors like that. But the idea of super cushy things like super cushy shoes, super cushy running shoes like the Hoka's, um, you know, those kind of things, although they may sound like they're great, um, they're actually not that if you have a mechanical flaw, if you're rolling your arch in too much, for example, or dropping your hip, that's exacerbated by things like the hokas or something with a really cush. So it, there's not a one size fits all. And sometimes a more stable surface is, is better for people than a, than a very soft surface. So for example, one of the worst things you can do is run on the sand, which is very, very soft. Um, and so, uh, everybody's a little bit different in what their body can tolerate, what their body can do. So, you know, there's a lot of trial and error, which is why, you know, it's treating an injury is never a one-time thing because we have to figure out, you know, there's an ongoing process of evaluating how somebody's doing before I give them the full green light um, to go back out there and do it. That's such an interesting talk track because we've seen over the years of minimalism and those kind of discussions. And, you know, I don't know if I'm saying it 
pronouncing it correctly, but the, the Tamara Indians or Tamara Indians, you know, um, from Born to Run and other uh, tribes of people that have run barefoot for years. And I personally do like minimalist shoes. I, I like to run in zero drop shoes, but I also like... I think with me, I've learned over the years that shoe rotation is one of the most important things that you can do. You've got to constantly rotate your shoes so that they're fresh. And also it changes your landing patterns too, right in your feet. If you're running in almost a zero drop shoe or a lower drop shoe, and then you are running with something with more cushioning and, you know, more support, let's say I've never had to wear any shoes with motion control because I don't pronate. Um, or if I do, it's extremely moderate and not enough to need any sort of correction, but it is an interesting talk track because you're right. Um, uh, the sneaker companies have built massive empires, right. Out of just building more and more of these cush shoes, um, with crazy, um, aerodynamics. And I personally don't like some of the stack heights of some of these newer Hoka shoes. I like Hoka's original, like the Clifton and some of those, but some of these other ones are getting like wildly out of hand. Again, they work for some people, but, but if you have a mechanical flop and your feet particularly, you know, it tends to be exacerbated by it. It's like running on sand. It's the same thing. You roll too much. So there's a real problem there. Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about your running Ironman ultra career a little bit. So we, we learned, you know, from residency that you had the opportunity to get Patriot's day off. And of course, doctors are supposed to be smart. And we know you're smart, dude, because you're not going to be on, on call for like 32 hours straight and like trying to stay awake, jumping rope. So you said, I'll run Boston. I got this. So that pulled you in. I know you're a soccer player I know you're a very good soccer player played in college. What other sports did you play in your youth? What else, were you involved in lots of sports or was it just really primarily soccer? Soccer and baseball were the two two words to live by. I love it. Love them both. Love them both. Um, I'm one of the, you know, I'm a terrible basketball player, god awful. But soccer and baseball uh, were the two things to fall and spring. Uh, and um, I still think I can make it in the major league as a middle infielder with, you know, with the above average bat. But um, I feel like that window may be closing a little bit. But, but uh, God, I love baseball. Uh, you know, I remember one of them in the natural, one of my favorite movies. I see that movie like 74 times, Robert Redford. And, uh, and looking at it, he said, God, I love baseball. And I'm like, hell yeah, brother, me too. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so I love baseball, love soccer, uh, and running, you know, became something to do and it has become something to do. Um, I love team and ball sports more, but just realistically, you know, with time and life and is you know, whatever, it's harder to find the time to do those. And, and running is you just put on parachutes and go anywhere and same, you know, so I think those sports have become more of my life now. Well, baseball, brother, D1 college baseball center fielder. So, and coached all my son's travel teams all the way up through his Good high school boy. years. And, and just, uh, there's just something about diving and getting dirty and just, uh, the running best. into fences and going first to third when you shouldn't, and, you know, running through the stop sign. I mean, baseball is, uh, just, People think it's boring. I just shake my head. I mean, it's it's a great, great, great game. And you know, Midwest man, it's it's you know, feel the dreams. It's the natural. It's all those. You know, they just they they tug on your heartstrings, man. And that that whole team Hell sport, yeah. team sport concept, and soccer players, man. I mean, there have been just amazing runners who came out of a soccer background. You know, were really good high school, college soccer players, and then a cross country coach discovered them in college, and the next thing you know, they became stud runners or steeplechase runners or or distance runners. So it's it's a great, you know, way 
to build, you know, the aerobic strength and the cardio base that's required of running. And, and you, and you hit the nail on the head as a physician and as a doctor who's busy and it lives that busy life or anybody like me, I'm not, I work in healthcare technology. When you're busy, running is the one thing. And that's what I try to say to my friends right now. They're all like, oh my God, at least you can ride your bike. And I'm like, yeah, but here's the thing. When I'm going to ride my bike to get something out of it the way you or I might want to from a run, I need to be out there for like three, three and a half hours. It's not like a run where I could go out for an hour and a half or two hours and really feel amazing. Like I need at least two times, maybe even more on a bike. And it's just me. Maybe, maybe it's not just me. Maybe it's people that are in that same kind of category. But um, I think that's why running is so natural for us, even coming from a team sport background, because, you know, you just need your sneakers, man, or, you know, a change of clothes and you come out of your scrubs and maybe even have it, maybe you got it on, your clothing on underneath the scrubs. Who knows, man? You're, you, you know, you got to be efficient. It's like a triathlon, man. You know, you're tag in, tag out. Let me, I got 45 minutes here, man. I could get a quick fart lick run in here. Let me see what I can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, I mean, believe me, that's happened many times about, you know, squeezing in the, the workout any place. So it's definitely part of the part of the history. So where did triathlon come into play as opposed to obviously the love of running? Where did, where did you get your start and try? Um, how did that come about? Yeah. So, you know, in med school, just, uh, there was a triathlon in Columbia, Missouri, and it was, uh, it was like a, a sprint and I borrowed a friend's mountain bike and swam in this crappy ass pond. And I just loved it. It's a cool sport. And so just started doing those and then and just started doing, you know, Olympics and then some half Ironman. And then, and then I was actually working for CBS morning show as a medical guy on the weekends, uh, when I got to New York and, and, uh, there was this Ironman triathlon up in Lake Placid. And, and I said, Hey, you guys want to come up and let, I'll do this thing and you guys can film it. So, and they said, yeah, sure. So we, Got a film crew, and uh, my brother and I went, and we did the Ironman in Lake Placid. We brought up our bikes, and we got there, and there were all these dudes, like, shaved heads and no body hair <laughs> and all this stuff, and they had all this, like, gear, and we were, like, hacks. We were completely showed up. We didn't have all the fancy crap. We had nothing, and we just had a wetsuit, but we borrowed a friend's wetsuit, and we didn't have all the matching stuff, and, uh, and we had these bikes that were just big old clunkers. And so these guys, this TV crew comes there and, and, and I was talking to get next, they check the expo next, they check in and the, the Cervello rep. And I'm like, dude, I'm doing this thing on TV on, on the morning show. And I'm, I'm writing this piece of crap. You think I could borrow one of your, so they, they hooked me up with the Cervello. I literally did my first Ironman on a bike that I'd never ridden before. I just took it around <laughs> the thing. It worked. It was fine. It was way better than the bike I had. I'll tell you that. Um, all these years later, I still did about, you know, I did a little faster over time, but not that much. I mean, basically it was awesome. And it was just, it was such a mental test of uh, just trying to get every ounce of energy out of your body. So I did 14 Ironman. Um, I still love doing tries and I, I actually have missed that. Uh, I want to get back in. I probably want to do one more Ironman at some point, just because I, I love that race. And it's, it really is a test. That's, that's amazing that uh, basically a bike you've never rode on in your life. <laughs> Everybody puts crazy amounts of months or even years into prep 
when they're going to step up and go, you know, from say, you know, 70.3 to 140.6 and, and do the full and you just roll up there with a TV crew with your brother and you're like, okay, you're going to run in like a city bike and like jump into Lake Placid, which is hilly as all hell. Right. I mean, basically, basically, but I wouldn't recommend that for anybody, but it, it, it worked. It was fine. It was great. It was a lot of fun. And what was the hardest that, I mean, based on the fact that you clearly hadn't really been able to train properly for it, like what was the hardest of the three events that day? So the, it always is that uh, the key thing is getting your ass out on the run after you bike biked, you know, 112 miles. And you're just like, the last thing you want to do is step out of that tent to go do a marathon. You're like, I have no desire to do this. But just getting out that tent to go do that is pretty, it takes a lot of willpower to get out that door. Once you're out, you're like, all right, shit, I'm here. I might as well do this. So what's flashing through your head? You know, because like the bike, it's 112 miles, man. Let me tell you something. Even really fit athletes I know, like a century is a long way to ride a bike. I mean, I got to tell you, even somebody like me who's been done 57 marathons and ultras and everything else, 100 miles is a long way to ride a bike. 112 is 12 more miles, okay? And then, like you said, you're going to roll out of the transition and you got to run a marathon or walk it or speed walk it, run, whatever the hell. That is, that's no easy task. Like, so what kind of shit was going through your head, man? You're just thinking, honestly, you're just thinking, get one foot in front of the next and you just keep going. Like your focus is getting to the end of that damn thing. And that's, that's your focus and everything else works backward from there. And even when you go there and you finish and you've, you know, I remember the first time I did it, I actually is interesting because I'd never heard about hyponatremia, low sodium. I never heard about it. I didn't know what it was. Um, and it wasn't really, really well described in the medical literature. Cause this was like back in like 1926 when I did my first one. And, um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going along and there's this dude by the side of the road and my brain is getting fuzzy because I'm like doing the first, like, I think it was like mile 12 or 13, or maybe I forget how far along it was in the, in the marathon, but I, I, my brain was getting fuzzy and there was a dude standing there. He had like a long white beard and he had a thing of salt. And I was like, I never even heard. I just knew I needed salt. Whenever I grabbed salt from this guy and I ate salt, my clear shit just cleared up. And I went out and came back and he was there and then I got on the way back into town and I called that guy my salt Santa Claus. Like I'd never even heard of hyponatremia before, but the salt Santa Claus was there and um, ended up reading and re reading and writing a lot about hyponatremia, which wasn't really well known back then. Um, a, and uh, no, but it's, you know, I had, I've had a real love affair with triathlon an Ironman distance triathlon. It takes a lot of time to train for that. Um, but I do think that this is a dirty little secret, um, Rob, which is I think a marathon is actually harder than an Ironman because in a marathon, you're running against that red line the whole time. And an Ironman, it's just a long, slow, it's like a Dura flame versus like a wood fire. Like the marathon's like a wood fire. You guys get that thing to your dead ashes. The, the Ironman is more like a Duraflame type situation. And you go a long way, but it's just like a slow, steady burn. So it takes a lot longer, but I find marathons almost harder. That's a great analogy because to finish a marathon, no, but to run a really solid marathon and to perform at your best, to run a PR level effort or, or your absolute best, it's 
it's really, really difficult because like you said, you, you've got such a narrow bandwidth of how hard you can push versus how little you want to back off. You don't want to back off much because you've got to stay very close to that range. And of course, you know, you're factoring in the weather, the heat, humidity, raining, wind, all those other factors, and then nutrition. Um, because even the fittest human on earth cannot run 26 miles at his best without having something. Okay. That's why the elites have the 5k stations, you know, every 5k they get their bottles and whatever mix they're using, whether it's Morton or whatever fuel that they're being provided by, you know, a sponsor company, we have to take something in when we're running at that level. If you're running slower, no. I mean, if you're running like ultra pace, no, you can get by with plain water. You wouldn't need anything else. You're not going to crash or bunk, but in an Ironman, you better get your nutrition right. I mean, so that is a huge difference, right? Even if you're not, and if, you know, to your Duraflame analogy, yeah, you're out there a lot longer. You're not going to be redlining. But if you get your fueling wrong in an Ironman or you have a salt situation, man, it could end really badly. Dude, I've had different, I've made pretty much every single mistake along the way. I think I'm going to tell you this story just because I feel like I kind of have to. Um, just so, so basically, my brother and I do almost every single Ironman did almost every single Ironman together. And he is different. He always experiments with some crazy ass food thing and it never works out well. He's done like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and chia seeds. I think he's onto something with the chia stuff now, but he's had like, he's made every single crazy food mistake in the world. Um, he also, he's a genius. This is the one that without the MD, but that gives medical advice. Um, but he is a big believer in taking the pre day before uh, stool softener. That's his thing. Just clear up the whole system day before. That's how he rolls. I love it. That's that. That's his MO. Um, so one year he was hurt and I ended up doing the Ironman with him, but he came up to support me. And um, I said, Hey, uh, James, uh, what do you do for that day before? Cause I actually started doing it the day before. And I'm like, yeah, it works. It totally just cleans out the system. Cause let's be honest, anybody that does endurance races, you know, if you don't, you know, it, it, either you you take care of the problem or it finds you, right? <laughs> yes, it does. Um, and so uh, he uh, he gave me the name of the thing. I went up and I got it and I took it and I woke up about three in the morning the night before the race with just like, like all kinds of problems. And I had all kinds of problems at three, at four, at five. By the time I got to the starting line, I was so depleted. And it was just, you know, when you, when you, when you're going like that, you just lose tons of electrolytes. Um, and uh turns out I was overzealous with my self-medication of that product. And the end result is by the time I got to the end of the bike, I was just like pale and had nothing. And I was like, I was dead. And it, it, the second half of that, of that marathon, like 13 to 26, I was literally look like, uh, like the dude from Red Badge of Courage when he's got like a thing, he's like dragging his leg along. It was, it was so ugly that I went from me and come on, Jordan, you can't do it. I'm like, come on, man, just a little more. You can do it. I was like that guy. I came hobbling in. There's just a great picture of looking like I look like I saw death. I'm just like so pale. And it, it's just like that is, you know, but it's interesting. These sports, like you, you, you challenge yourself against yourself, right? You find that limit in yourself and you push through that. And that's what it's all about. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. It's our, I, I believe in me versus me. It's, it's the Goggins mentality, the Goggins spirit. But I mean, look, those stories, they shape us way more than our best race. They shape us way more than our best performance on the job and in the career, because 
you know, you found a way to keep moving, man. You know, you're crapping your brains out. You've, you've depleted every possible electrolyte before you even begin this crazy endeavor. And by the time you get through the bike, you're already like a dead person, like come get me on a stretcher. But somehow you finish 26 miles. And I think we learn so much more about ourselves when we're in those kind of spots, because, you know, like no one, I always say, nobody's coming to get you. No one is coming to get you. Nobody's coming to help you. There's no helicopters going to come flying in and go, Hey, let's go get Jordan out there. Nope. No, you better get your ass back there one way or the other. You got to finish. Thousand percent. Yeah. Thousand percent. That's a super cool story. And I have to wonder if your brother tried to submarine you. Maybe he told you to take too much, man. It could be a little backstory here and a little sibling sibling stuff doing all the racing. He might have been like, well, oh, I dude. can't race. So let me see if I can mess my bro up here. We used to try and harass the shit out of each other. Pretty awesome. Yeah. You got to love that, man. That's what brothers are for, man. You got to torture Absolutely. each other, man. I'm Absolutely. A, my middle brother, man. I used to get, my brother was like fully grown at 12, man. I used to hit him over the scoreboard. They were like on their way up. You know, they were just climbing. Like, you know, I just wanted to hit one ball over a fence. You know, mine were always off the wall, one up the wall. And those were doubles and triples. My brother was just hitting these moonshot homers. And so was my younger brother. He was hitting bombs. So I was like, man, I got no power, man. But I had the speed. So we take what we can get, right? Dude, are you Mets or Yankees guy, by the way? Yankees. All right. I'm Casey, so I'm kind of... Yeah, you're... You, you, were, you were growing up in the George Brett era, though, so you knew what that was all about. Yeah, I did. The Brett and Billy Martin was one of the great scenes in baseball history, man. I mean, that was just that was just bedlam, oh, man. Tar. Oh, yeah. Pine tar. Gossage, moonshot into the upper deck. I mean, Brett was... I mean, anybody who played baseball who didn't think that guy had the purest and sweetest swing of all time just didn't know, didn't know they were watching, man, because he was... Uh, he was just an epic baseball player. He was a baseball player, man. Just he would kick your ass in a fight, you know the the you know the eye black and just just bringing that passion into the game and yeah, fierce. I love KC Yankee Royal, Royal uh, rivalry in their heyday. Those were amazing, amazing games. People don't realize how good KC was back then. The Yankees were like a powerhouse and they had all the cash and had all the money and Kansas city was doing with farm system and young players and bringing them up. And man, I remember the double is it Patek and uh, Frank white, the double play. Dude, great memory. Absolutely. <laughs> Come on, man. I remember, man. It's that's baseball, Dude, man. You can rolling up. That, wasn't it Willie rolling up Willie Randolph, right? I was like, didn't he take out Willie Randolph? I'm pretty sure. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So no, Hal, Hal McCray took out. Yeah, Willie Hal Randolph, McCray. Was, my bad. That infield was, uh, it was George Brett at third. Freddie Patek at short, Frank White at second, um, an ex-Yankee, Steve Balboni. Yes. Was the first baseman, Bones. Yes. Steve Balboni. That was it. John Wathen was the catcher. Or Daryl Porter, maybe, the catcher. Different years. And then they're like, Hal McCray. I mean, it was like, a, it was like, well, that was great. And <laughs> and you had the outfielder who stole like nine million bases who could like beat out a Willie ground Wilson. ball to the pitcher. Will yeah, he's from Summit, New Jersey. Yeah, Willie Wilson. He's in was New from, Jersey. He was from Summit, New Jersey. Those were those are epic days. And yeah, for for those who don't know, uh, Jordan of course has died in the wool. Casey, so he's a huge Chiefs fan. And guess what team I'm a fan of? The Oakland Raiders, possibly the greatest football rivalry in history. The Raiders and the Chiefs. So they've had the upper hand with with uh, Mahomes killing it the last couple of years. And you know it's been good stuff. So one day, just for fun, man, we're gonna have to watch a game together. That'll be a blast. I would love it. Actually, that was um, that was uh, the last time I cried for joy. Uh, I'm an emotional dude, but the last time I really cried for joy was two years ago. 
I got to go to the Super Bowl. And after 50 years, I watched KC win that Super Bowl. I literally was crying for joy. It was awesome. Hey, I got to be, I I got to be honest. There's no way. And I think I told you this in your office. There's no way there even a rivalry and the hated rivalry, the old school, when you hate even Yankee fans, we hated Met fans. Like that's just, you grow up, even though they're not even in your league. It's just the way you're brought up. You have your teams who you love, who you hate. There's no way. I was going to root against the Chiefs just because of Patrick Mahomes. The dude is a baller. His attitude is amazing. He has such unbelievable energy out there in the field. And just, he's he's like a magician out there, man. And you can see his baseball skills on the football field. You can it's see- It's pretty amazing. I mean, it's like Jeter's jump throw from shortstop. He has all of those things just on the football field, like throws against his body that are like no one else on earth could even dream of. And crazy Couldn't stuff. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And in the Super Bowl, they let him down, man. I mean, some of those throws were like hitting guys in the face mask and yeah, they weren't, they weren't making the plays. So. This time. Yeah. Yeah. I think they I think they were off their game. It's okay. It's okay. But anyway, let's let's shift back. So um, you know, let, tell me about your favorite race experience, anything. Marathon, triathlon, anything. Pick any race anywhere. Tell me why it was your favorite and what happened that day to make it your favorite. Something special about it. So I've done done stuff everywhere. I'd say the, the most unique and I think probably still the most special race I ever did was my little brother was studying um over he was in uh london for the year or semester in college and he said hey let's go do this marathon in switzerland called the jungfrau marathon so all right cool um so got a plane ticket flew over to, to zurich and he met me over there and uh drove to interlaken and uh interlaken switzerland you know, like this is like the most beautiful place in the world and this marathon is an uphill marathon, and it starts in the town of Interlaken, and it finishes at the top of the Jungfrau, which is uh, this massive mountain, and it's about a and about a five and a half thousand foot climb. And so the race, the gun goes off, and uh, you're the first like five k less, maybe even four k. You run through the towns of Interlaken, and there's like Beethoven's Ninth Symphony's jamming loud, and then you start going up this trail up into the mountains and you're going through this Swiss countryside and every once in a while you got these Swiss dudes bringing these cowbells going, Oh, Oh, Oh. And they, everyone's screaming. You're just literally running through these like, you know, beautiful fields with these dudes going, Oh, Oh, by like these cows. And then you start getting up into, so like halfway is you end up in this town called Lauterbrunnen, which is a mile, you know, basically 13.1. And then at Mount Lauterbrunnen, you look to the right and you're like, Oh shit. And it's like goes switchback, switchback. And you within from Lauterbrunnen to Wengen, which is the next town up, it's about two miles, but it's about 4,000 feet of elevation. It's crazy. You just go, you're basically just going up, 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 up. You're going like one mile an hour. And then you get to Wengen. And I remember I got to Wengen and there are these people in this thing going like cola, tea, Alcofit, which was their Gatorade. They were in the sponsor, cola, tea, Alcofit. And I'm like, God, dude, they need some Alcofit, Alcofit. And there was, so I got some Alcofit and I kept going. And then you go up through Vengen and you're going up, up. And then you get to the edge of this glacier and you're like on this single track trail next to this glacier. And by that point, my head is like all spinny. And I'm like, God damn it, I feel terrible. It was like mile 25, I guess, by that point. And there was like, there are these cows. And then you're, there are these cows like grazing with these cowbells. They're like these, you know, the farmers up there, they have natural cows that are grazing. And, and this cow came out, I'm like, God damn, I'm going to run into a cow, man. I'm like out of here. And I kept going up, up, up. 
And uh, finally, I see the top. And you go, you come over the top and down into the ski station at the top of the mountain. And you finish. And there's this dude there with this massive vat of Rushdie, which is like Swiss hash browns. And you sit there and they give you like a big ass beer and the big thing of Rushdie. And you're like, that's the coolest thing I've ever done. And you do that and you sit on the train. There's a cog rail train and it takes two hours to go down the trail. That's how long it takes to go down there. It's such a cool race. So I, I hugely recommend that one. Wow. What a cool experience. No wonder, no wonder that one stuck with you. Um, cause people always think it's about their fastest race or whatever experience, but man, it's, it's about the environment too. And, and man, that is, uh, that's totally epic. And I think that's why ultra is drawing my interest because so many of these ultra races are in such spectacular venues running in the mountains, in the Alps, or in our country here in the U S just, just spectacular venues. And, you know, you're at 10,000 feet, 12,000 feet, 8,000 feet running across streams and just looking at, you know, and being part of nature, which is, which is epic. So that made your experience and then it takes you two hours, two hours to roll down, man. So look, I know, um, we're getting to the end here. We're getting ready to roll, roll towards the end. I think um, one thing I always like to highlight uh, with every guest, because it's something that's near and dear to me, is community service. And you know, I know everyone who's ever been a patient of yours knows what a huge impact you have on our community here in New York City with Iron Strength. And I love to know like where that starts. Like, where did that idea come? Obviously, you know, hearing you talk about your dad and and your mom and their work ethic and what was instilled in your brothers and all of you like growing up. So you, and have this sense of community of what they did and that modeling, but like for iron strength itself, you know, obviously it's so community focused. You're giving back so much of yourself and sharing so much of yourself with people uh, and trying to get them into healthy habits. But like, where did the idea come from? And, you know, just talk a little about that before we roll out of here. Sure. Sure. It actually started, which I think you'll appreciate with sibling library. So, um, so my brother and I were doing these uh, Ironman, and and we were kind of he'd win some, I'd win some. We we're kind of you know it was one way with the other. And I eventually wandered into this functional strength training class up at Asphalt Green. I'd never done it. I didn't know what a jump squat was. I didn't know what a burpee was. I didn't know about functional training. And this awesome dude named Dewana Richardson was running this class there, and I went in there, and I was with a friend of mine. We did this class. And then the next day I woke up, I'm like, God, my butt is so sore. I can barely move around. And then like two days later, I was like, man, my running feels like a spring. And so I went back, you know, the next week and tried it again. Next week, tried again. And I noticed that like there was so much more springiness in my muscles. I'm like, this is awesome. And so then I started, you know, learning about that stuff. And then I slowly started prescribing it to my patients. And I started prescribing, you know, a lot of strength exercises for my patients. And that initially started slowly and it kind of grew. And I recognized that it really helped them. And then I thought, you know what? I can do this one-on-one. Why don't I start trying to prescribe this to more people? So I actually talked to one of my patients who was a general manager at Equinox. And I said, hey, listen, do you have any time when no one's using the studio? And they said, yeah, like Sunday at four o'clock or whatever. And I said, do you mind if I bring a group in there? And they said, you know, that, that, back in the days, you couldn't. I said, yeah, fine. So I started with a group of like 25 people in the basement of an Equinox. And like once a month, they'd come in and we'd do some music and do some exercises. And over time that grew to like a listserv now of like 35,000 people. And they started doing these huge outdoor events and public events. And, you know, the idea was that functional training was so personally helpful that I wanted to share it with my patients and then my community and then community of mass and then virtually, and it's kind of grown from there, but it really came with the idea of 
it was great and I wanted to beat my brother. Those are the two things. <laughs> <laughs> the sibling rivalry, you gotta you gotta love that. But I, no doubt, I mean, just sharing as somebody who's super close with the family and we have all that dynamic in ours too. Um, God, your mom and dad gotta be proud because um, that's just, it's such a great give back and um, we all have a certain amount of time on this earth, how many years we get to live, but we have so, much, so many hours in a day and you could be using those hours to do a lot of other things. So the fact that you're sharing that energy and sharing that, uh, you know, just that good karma with other people and bringing them together for something good. Um, because we all know, I think we've even chatted about it when I've been in there. If more people, th these times have put people into dark places and not just because maybe they've lost their job or financially, or they're having to teach their kids as opposed to a teacher teaching them. And they're now homeschooling based on the age of their children. And the, the simple act of being able to go out and run and move through space and time, it just relieves so much stress, right? But some people can't because maybe they have some reasons why they can no longer run, but they can come to one of your classes. They can show up in Central Park. They could go to the intrepid when when things are back to normal, let's say, or those first people, those first 20 or so, I guarantee you, you remember those people. I guarantee you, you remember them. And I bet you're still in touch with them today because we don't forget that kind of situation of going in the basement at Equinox at four o'clock when they weren't using the space. You don't forget something like that because when something starts that small and then grows to what it is today, I mean, the intrepid people, come on, man, that's what we're talking about. I mean, how, what's the largest group that you've done uh, in Iron Strength Group event? What's the largest one? I, the intrepid was a thousand people. So <laughs> that, a thousand people is a lot. That's, a lot of jump squats. Yeah, that's epic, man. That's good stuff. Well, it's been such an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. Is there anything else that's like you got your eye on or focus on as we move into, you know, the year and things are obviously starting to improve that you want to, you know, share with everybody um, to the audience? No, I just think people just hang in there. Keep, keep going ahead. I mean, this has been a really crappy year. Um, I think exercise has helped people a lot. I've, I've really increasingly recognized the importance of preventive health and preventive wellness as part of you know, what keeps people healthy. And, uh, you know, I just encourage everybody to keep their chins up and keep moving. And, uh, you know, there will be a time when we're through this crap. Uh, in the meantime, you know, taking care of yourselves, taking care of communities, um, trying to keep a balance and a focus. I think in some ways not having all these races, you know, I don't want it forever, but I think maybe it's helpful in a way just to refocus the people who are getting too caught up in stuff, you know, just trying to keep a balance and, and, uh, you know, one foot in front of the other. And I look forward to seeing everybody very soon. That's great advice to roll out on. Well, thank you so much for sharing uh, so many great insights with our audience today. Um, I look forward to getting this out there soon to everybody. We roll out with every episode, Doc, with keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. So stay after it, people. Peace out. Love it. Such a pleasure, buddy. Wow. Jordan really brought it. That episode was really a treat. I can't tell you how much I enjoy getting to know him better and learn more about his Midwestern roots, uh, the reverence he has, clearly has for his mom and dad, and the impact they've had on their entire family um, via community service, being physicians, uh, providing medical care, and doing lots of wonderful things within the community. It's just great to see that sort of impact uh, from the mom and dad transfer down to the siblings, to the boys, and and have them focused on giving back. 
and doing work within the community. That that's just something that really resonated with me. Um, and certainly, um, having Jordan as my own physician, I can tell you that he's deeply invested in his patients' outcomes. He wants every one of us to get well, to get healthy, to focus on the core, to get stronger, um, to learn how to prehab, and to ensure that we won't get injured again and that we can stay healthy and continue doing what we love. And that is not only his credo and his medical practice, but it is definitely the Hospital for Special Surgery credo. So what a great uh, medical organization and what an amazing doctor uh, Jordan Metzel is and one hell of an athlete and a fun guy, man. Definitely enjoyed him taking time out of his crazy busy schedule to chat with us here on Run Chat. So if you all enjoy that chat as much as, as we both did, I hope you'll continue um, sharing as you've done on Instagram stories, on Facebook. And definitely, if you have a moment, get onto Apple Podcasts, write a quick review on this episode, something about it that sticks out or about other episodes from Run Chats, anybody else, anybody else's episode you listen to that maybe you enjoyed that you took something with. It really helps us get new subscribers to the show and it helps us get amazing guests like Jordan and we want to keep building the momentum. So thank you all Run Chats family for being part of what we're doing. We're going to keep trying to keep this momentum and stoke level high. And we can only do that with more awesome people listening to the show. So thank you all from the bottom of my heart. I tell you all, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight, my friends. Peace out. Love you all. <laughs>